Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. God gave me a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari too. When God made you, he had all the options put on. You are fully loaded and totally equipped. So do this with me. Where did we ever come up with the style of preaching we have today? There is some entertaining preaching, but not convicting preaching, and the legacy has been tragic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you want light and bright, you might want to listen to a Paul Washer sermon. This is Wretched Radio. You say, wait a second, a Paul Washer sermon? Usually the opposite of light and bright. It's deep and heavy and hard. Well, Paul ain't got nothing on us today because we are going to do a deep dive into a subject where we must tread very carefully. But I think we go there necessarily because the world keeps making accusations against God. And perhaps you've pondered this yourself. Frankly, we Christians should be pondering this. We should not see world events, the evil, the wickedness, the pain, the suffering, and just yawn. Instead, we can and should ask the question, how do I harmonize so much evil in the world with the existence of a good God? How do I explain eternal conscious torment to the world and perhaps to myself when God is filled with loving kindness and grace and mercy? Let's dive in deep, recognizing that sometimes we can go too deep. There are some subjects regarding the character and the nature of God. I think we should at some point say, you know, this has gotten beyond us. And we're just not going to push this any further because it's just getting more entangled. It's getting more fine in definitions, and it's not all that edifying. And I actually think sometimes arriving at that destination is a very worthwhile trip because it forces us to exercise a lot of biblical wisdom, but it also reminds us we can't understand the mind of God, not completely. You can't understand the character and the nature of God. Not completely. You cannot understand the Trinity. Not completely. And that is a good thing, because if we could get everything, that would mean we're God. We have the same knowledge. We are as big as he is, and we're not. So let's dive in deep, hopefully not too deep, as we tackle the subject of reprobation, courtesy of Dr. Peter Sammons from the Master's Seminary. This book was sent to me. I don't know who did, but wow, is it a deep dive into the doctrine of sovereignty and eternal conscious torment. How do we how do we understand how God does this? How does God use sin sinlessly? Because he does. There's sin in the world. We know that God ordains everything. And yet we know that he can't be responsible for sin and evil because of his character and nature, which is where we are going to begin with understanding why evil exists and how God uses it for his glory, our good without sinning. Let's establish some definitions that everything that exists, God decrees everything that happens is because God has declared that's going down. God is sovereign over everything. Furthermore, he's omnipotent. 
God has infinite, eternal, and unchangeable power. By that we mean he is able to do all that is not contrary to his nature. That's kind of crucial, isn't it? And that also reminds us that God can't do nonsensical things like make a square circle, make a boulder too heavy, can't push it up a hill. God can do everything that is logical. (laughs) And God does everything that he desires. And that's where we run into the snag. Hey, that means God's doing evil. Hey, no, it doesn't. And Peter Sammons makes the case quite admirably. Thomas Goodwin, he was a dead guy, explains that while God is omnipotent, yet he is not omnivalent, willing to do things. Thought, he can do all things of infinitely more than he hath done. Yet he doth, you can tell he's a Puritan, not will do all things that he is able, for his power is limited by his will. That shouldn't scare us. He's still omnipotent. Because of his character and his nature, he simply cannot violate himself and do evil things. God is never hindered by any external force in the exercise of his power. There is no personal being like Satan, impersonal law like the principle of free will or force like evil that is able to challenge or frustrate God's efforts. What God wills, he does. And because his power is infinite, he never gets tired or exhausts his power when he uses it. (laughs) Go ahead. Noodle on that for a while and you're going to find yourself going, wait, there's so much energy that is being expended in the universe. We, we see the law of entropy. Everything runs out. Not God. Was just reading about a black hole that is 70 million times larger than the sun. <laughs> He's big. His, this is nothing. Running this universe for him is just, it's nothing. If the universe is big, he's bigger still. If the universe has power, he's more powerful still. The sun, so much energy, and the sun would run out of gas. Please note that, my old earth friend. By this time, it would have pooped out. We'd be freezing. We'd be dead. But it continues to burn because we're not as old as some people suggest we are. But even though the sun... Oh, I'm so sorry for this. Even though the S-U-N runs out. Yeah, I'm going to, Jimmy. The S-O-N never does (laughs) because God does not get exhausted. He is also immutable. He doesn't change. God's power neither waxes nor wanes because God is holy and righteous. His power is never used to do evil. Because God is all wise, his power is never used foolishly because God is self-sufficient. His power depends only on himself and never on external supplies. Because God is sovereign, the exercise of his power can never be resisted. Oh, the joy of theology. I was just... (laughs) Somebody just sent me a video. The church service, very famous preacher. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to mention that it was Andy Stanley opening up with Led Zeppelin for the Sunday morning worship because, quote, they have to let the band get it out of their system on occasion. It was a yuck fest. Everybody hooped and hollered and they clapped with their hands over their heads and everybody laughed. <sighs> Our God does not desire to be worshipped by a rock and roll song from an 80s band 
that was anti-God in their worldview. God is big and churches that don't teach theology are robbing their people of joy. And isn't it ironic because these churches purport to be centers where, hey, we're going to make your life better. You're going to be happier. You're going to do things righter and have more success. And they rob them of the very means that God has provided to arrive at that destination. And that is knowledge of him. And so what you just heard were huge theological categories, the immutability of God, the omniscience of God, that that God is righteous. He's all wise, all powerful, all sufficient. He doesn't depend on anything. The aseity of God. He doesn't need nothing. That is who God is. And yet we've got to figure out if he's all that. And if he's that in control of everything, well, then how do we harmonize evil in the world? Let's continue getting our definitions down. Can we say that God can do anything? No. God's omnipotence is always exercised in ways that are consistent with his essence. His power is never at odds with his holiness, faithfulness, wisdom, immutability, or any other attribute. Now, another theological category would be providence. This is a word we should absolutely carry around in our apologetical holster because unbelievers are going to ask, hey, what about these terrible things? Where's God and all of that? Everything is done through God's providence is the teaching that God is involved in everything that happens on earth. He upholds all things. His providence is exercised in such a way that nothing happens without his involvement. Now, that does not mean God forces everything that happens. There's a hint for us, thereby violating natural law or the will of creatures or exercising some universal meticulous dominion where the properties of creation are upended. All that to say you're you're doing evil. It's on you. You're sinning. It's you. And yet God is ordaining everything and his providential will orders everything, and yet he doesn't cause everything. Now, you might find yourself shorting out at that point, and I understand, and that's a that's not a bad thing. Don't panic over that. It's a good thing. I think all of us get to a certain point where it's like, <laughs> I can't do no more. I can't understand this. And that's okay because we can't fully understand God. And yet the Bible gives us enough to piece together all of these theologies so that we can defend the assaults on God when the world says, what about all of the bad things? Dr. Peter Salmon's reprobation and God's sovereignty is going to help us understand next how he does this without being guilty of sinning himself. This is Wretched Radio. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. 
Now, tomorrow comes Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home. Parents get saved and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe, and now in Africa. Would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. So you turn on the TV right now, and if it is not a commercial for some kind of weird medication, it's a commercial for somebody's Christmas sale. And boy, are those annoying. So you have my word that this won't be quite as annoying. Rather, this will be helpful information. That right now in the Wretched store, most Wretched products are 50% off. Plus, if you spend $50 or more, we're going to send you a free copy of Transform Season 1 while supplies last. And we're going to send all of it to you free because shipping is also free when you spend $50 or more in the Wretched store. All right, so let me recap that. 50% off most Wretched products in the Wretched store. If you spend $50 or more, you get a free copy of Transform Season 1 plus free shipping. See? Helpful information. That wasn't annoying at all. The Wretched 50-50 sale is happening right now till year's end at wretched.org slash sale. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines, not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. Important dates in Christian history. 1906. The Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, California, launches Pentecostalism and paves the way for the development of the modern charismatic movement. Pentecostalism is marked by a focus on supernatural gifts such as healing and speaking in tongues. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Shameful and unbecoming this is wretched radio a reprobation and the sovereignty of god studying these big ideas helps us to harmonize the way that god presents himself in the bible in light of the accusation that god must be evil because evil exists Wrong, wrong, and wrong, as we have established courtesy of Dr. Peter Sammons in his book, Reprobation and God's Sovereignty. God ordains everything, but he doesn't cause everything. He doesn't cause anybody to sin. He doesn't cause wicked dictators to do horrific things to the masses. And yet he ordains it. God uses sin 
sinlessly. Let's see if we can figure out how he does that by studying the subject of causality. We've got to dive in deep into this. How does God cause things? So we can safely say that God is causing. Now, just be patient with me on this. We can say that God is causing evil, but he's not doing the evil. And there is a part of causality that releases him from the assault that he is evil because he, quote, causes evil. Now, I know that maybe sounded provocative, and believe me, I get that. But let us understand that there are different levels of causality. There's a primary level. That would be God. But there are secondary causes. In this instance, it would be us. And as we go about the business of causing evil, even though that God in a primary sense has caused evil, we have secondarily caused the evil and we're the ones responsible for it because we did it. God doesn't make you do evil. That's where we where we get a lot of help because we hear God causes evil. Then therefore he does the evil. No, 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 no. God causes it, but there are secondary causes, human beings, and therefore God is not guilty of doing those things because he has not made people do them. And yet he's created all of the circumstances and all of the ability for people to do those things without actually being responsible for their evil behavior. Let's dive into that, shall we? Ezekiel 14, 9. That's right, the Old Testament. If the prophet is persuaded so that he speaks a word, it is I, the Lord, who have persuaded that prophet. We got to dive into that because there are a lot of people who would try to wrangle that away because that indicates that God is, wait a second. So when I say something, the Lord made me say it? No, the Lord caused it without causing you. He causes everything, but you also cause stuff. And when it's bad, it's on you. Seemingly difficult passages like this. Some people doubt, distort, downplay, or outright deny when it plainly said what it plainly says. Frankly, such response to scripture is shameful and unbecoming of any Christian. <laughs> Wowza. We must instead give God's word the serious consideration it deserves. In this case, the apparent predicament is obvious. How can God be said to persuade a false prophet to lie to someone when passages like James 1.13 says God cannot tempt anyone? And Numbers 23.19 says God cannot lie. In light of God's holiness, to what extent is his involvement with sin. Let's dive into our categories of causation. There are three. Ultimate cause. The ultimate cause of every action that occurs in the world is God, who providentially, there's our word, governs all actions for his purposes. Two, there's a proximate cause. The proximate cause of an action is the agent, human or otherwise, who influences, directs, or enables an, effect, an, an action. So God, we know clearly from the Bible, is in control of everything. Ephesians 1.11, Romans 11.36, but 
you have these individuals who also do things. The proximate cause. And then, thirdly, you have the efficient cause. The efficient cause of an action is the great human or otherwise, or the agent, human or otherwise, who directly carries out the action. So there's a slight distinction between two and three. The proximate cause is the agent who influences, directs, or enables an action. Efficient cause is the one who actually does it. That's that's a worthy distinction, and you'll see why in just a bit. Scripture indicates that sin does not occur outside of the ordained plan of God, who is the ultimate cause. There's our word. He's the ultimate cause. That's one of our categories and responsible for all things. But since scripture says that both concurrent realities are true, that God ordained sin while remaining holy and unchangeable for sin, the need for theological categories of causation is established. Let's dive into an Old Testament verse. Aren't you glad we haven't unhitched it? First Kings 22, we see God using false prophets to lie to King Ahab. Ahab was another case of someone who preferred lying to telling the truth and wanted to try to leverage God for personal gain. After patiently enduring years of Ahab's evil, God was determined to bring about his downfall. Thus, the passage states that when Ahab sought prophetic counsel to determine whether or not he should go into battle, his 400 false prophets assured him of victory. What Ahab didn't know at the time, however, was that God had enticed these false prophets to lie to him. Look, that's hard. Look, that, 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 we have to acknowledge. Whew, that's hard. 400 liars? And God was behind it without being responsible for it. Exactly. That is the categorization of causation. We understand there's different categories. How did God do this? By enlisting the help of demons. Zoinks, Scoob. So now he's using, well, what would the demons be? Did the demons do the lying? No. They'd be the proximate cause, the one who enable or influence. But the efficient cause were the false prophets themselves. That is causation. And that means that God is not culpable for the wicked actions of demons or sinful human beings. He's the ultimate but he is not the proximate or the efficient cause of evil. Does that go down with you? Does that maybe help you? It should, because we see this over and over again in the Bible, that God uses sin sinlessly. Now, Peter Sammons, in his book titled Reprobation and God's Sovereignty, lists four causalities the way that God does this. So how, okay, so how does God do this without being guilty of this? Number one, there's the causality of divine abandonment. God just goes, I'm done. He withholds grace from people. And then terrible things happen. They're responsible. He isn't. There will be an unstated hardening of hearts. There will be a self-hardening of hearts. Remember Pharaoh self-hardening his heart, doing evil? God wasn't responsible, but he ordained it. There's evil people, the causality of personal agency. 
These are people who do their will instead of God's. There is the causality of evil spirits. There is the causality of general means. Here's the definition of that. When scripture states a general means, or it cannot simply be defined as any time God speaks about the execution of the decree or reprobation upon the non-elect without stating a direct agent involved. So there's just some stuff that the Bible just doesn't tell us what the proximate or efficient cause was. There is also the causality of non-personal agency. What in the world is that? Lying. It, it, it's, it's not telling the truth. Those are all of the ways that God ordains everything, operates the universe, but is not connected to the sin and the evil that people commit. He is guiltless in all of it, ordaining everything because that is how he operates the planet so that we can uphold the doctrine of sovereignty on the one hand and the doctrine of goodness of God on the other hand to come up with a theodicy to how to explain evil with a good God. Remember causality and categories of causality. God's the ultimate. There are proximate demons, lies, untruths, hardenings. And then there's the actual agent, the efficient agent that carries it out. And when that agent carries it out, even though God is the ultimate cause, he is not the one who causes it to happen in the sense that he's responsible for it. The agent who carries it out is. Was that a perfect presentation? I doubt it. It was intended to help us think through a deep issue, love our God more, and be able to defend the accusation that God must be evil because evil exists. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, it's the day after Christmas, but the Christmas season drastically affected by inflation this year. Though the current administration doesn't want you to believe that, one-third of Americans prior to Christmas considered skipping gift-giving altogether. Don't know the numbers of the actual people who did that, but we do know what your meal actually cost you this year. If you participated in a Christmas meal, you paid 16.4% more than you did in 2021, which was up 8.2% from 2020. So to break that down into actual numbers and figures before the pandemic, Christmas dinner for four would run about $48. This year, $60.29 for that same Christmas dinner. But remember, according to this administration, we're living in the best economy ever. And some news from Formula One racing. The governing body for Formula One has banned drivers from making political statements at races without prior permission from the group. The decision comes after some of the drivers promoted leftist political causes in recent years. The FIA noted that the International Sporting Code had been updated to reflect that political neutrality is a fundamental principle and a stance also upheld by the International Olympic Committee's Code of Ethics. And that's not a rule change I'm mad at. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill touted a $1.7 trillion funding package a couple of weeks back with both Democrats 
and Republicans claiming victories, which was designed to avert a government shutdown. But the text of the legislation was some 4,000 pages long, leaving very little hope for lawmakers, even with the help of aides, to get through the text prior to voting on the package. And according to the Heritage Foundation, the bill that didn't have enough time to be read was packed with woke pet projects. Among them, a number of LGBTQ projects from pride centers to museums and anti-racism initiatives. And regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, I don't think that's news that anybody is surprised by. Recently, the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously ruled in favor of a Connecticut Athletics Association policy that allowed biological males identifying as females to participate in girls' sports. According to the report, a three-judge panel ruled that the Connecticut Association of Schools could have a policy that allowed males to participate in girls' sports. Four biological female high school athletes sued the conference and association over that policy. The opinion asserted that the panel was unpersuaded that the athletes, quote, have established the injury in fact and redressability for standing. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what that means, but my translation is they just hate girls. Books of the Bible. The book of James is much like Proverbs for the New Testament, employing a concise and memorable style with a simple yet profound message. Christians should think and act like Christians. It is very easy to understand, but exceptionally difficult to obey. This ought to lead us to repentance and a fresh reliance upon the grace of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hey, that wasn't a terrible whistle for me. Freela was a terrible whistle. It wasn't for me. This is Wretched Radio. So, Jimmy. <laughs> Don't bring me into this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm, I'm not claiming that I just presented that perfectly. And if I did it wrong to Peter Sammons, I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> but reading his book, Reprobation and God's Sovereignty, I found to be helpful because it explains how God operates the world. And maybe you think, wait a second, there isn't a verse that exactly tells us that. No, there really isn't an exact verse. But when we read all of Scripture, you remember the Protestant approach of the analogy of Scripture. You read the whole thing, then you can draw some conclusions about how God operates the planet, specifically evil. And we need to wrestle with it. And we, we need to understand it and we need to be able to defend the accusation. Jimmy, I have a suspicion because you've already told me so. <laughs> you don't agree with everything I just said. Well, it's not that I don't agree. It's oh, um, don't be all squishy no, and I just don't diplomatic. Under, no, I don't understand. Uh, there's so much about this subject that I have wrestled with in the past. And um, man, we can go a lot of different places with it, but it's just mind boggling when you come down to trying to understand God's sovereignty, the fact that he controls everything, the fact that he created everything, that he holds everything together, then how can we say that there are things God cannot do? Ah, so the limitations of God's power. Yeah. I mean, I understand that he will not act outside of his mm -hmm. nature and God is good. He won't act outside yeah. of his nature, but how can we say there are things that he can't do? All right, do? then let me, let me ask you a question. Uh-oh. This get ready cuz this 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 one is a little bit tricky. Could Jesus have sinned? No, absolutely All not. All right, then then you've just answered the first question. Couldn't. 
Jesus couldn't do it. And yet he was tempted just like we are. But he couldn't do it. But he didn't. Okay. I'm, couldn't. I'm, we, okay. Couldn't. No, he couldn't because he wasn't born with his sin nature. Well, true. Yeah. And neither is God, obviously. He's neither right. born nor does he have a sin nature. Right, right. And so just as Jesus couldn't sin, God can't sin. Doesn't limit his sovereignty or his omnipotence. It means that it's simply defined based on his character and his nature. That, so that, that's how I sort this. I start with God in the center of it. What is he like? How does he behave? How does he present himself in the Bible? And it is, well, just think about Isaiah chapter six. You've got angels surrounding the throne. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. Now, can a holy God possibly sin? No, not if he's perfectly holy. He, he couldn't possibly sin. He can't because his nature puts the brakes on it. And the same thing is true with Jesus. While he was tempted in every way, we have a sympathetic high priest. Even so, Jesus could not sin. And you might add that, well, even if he wanted to, but that's the point. He didn't want to <laughs> because he hates it. That's another theme we see in the Bible. God's hatred for sin. Furthermore, we do not see a God who delights in bad things happening to his people. When the Jews were scattered to Assyria, to Babylon, was God, <laughs> got him. That's going to teach him. No, he doesn't delight in it. Is it Psalm 137, I believe, where you hear the lament of the children of Israel in exile? <laughs> they want us to sing uh, some happy song. Yet all we want to sing is a dirge because we're not near Jerusalem. We're not near the place where God dwells. We are not in the, in the holy city. We're miserable. God wasn't thrilled with that. Did God cause the evil behavior of the Assyrians and the Babylonians? Well, this brings us back to the understanding of categories of causation. In one sense, he caused it in that he's running everything but he doesn't cause it in that he doesn't influence it or he doesn't do it. Hence, you've got ultimate cause, proximate cause and efficient cause. And those three categories, I think, will guide us. Now, this is a lot. This is this is this is a pretty, pretty heady conversation. How do we bring this down to the streets? Most likely in most instances, to share the three levels of causation, probably not going to happen. Now, I actually could imagine it out on a university campus. But if we kind of we've got to muscle through this, is an unbeliever going to go, oh, I get it. <laughs> probably not. And therefore, I think responding with the simple phrase to the accusation that evil exists, God is good, therefore, God doesn't exist or God isn't good because evil exists. You simply say God uses sin sinlessly. That's it. That explains everything that we just discussed. Will the individual swallow that? Probably not, but they won't swallow three different forms of causation either. But it gives a clear and thorough response without getting into the weeds and not going to the place where the conversation turns into a complete distraction from the importance of their individual responsibility for their evil. 
Here's an illustration that maybe helps us with this. You have children. You knew they weren't going to be perfect. Yet you had them and they sin. Are you responsible? No, no, you're not. What, what if, what if, now this isn't perfect either. You got to watch out for these little illustrations because they get really tricky and I recognize there's holes in them. So forgive me in advance. If you find a big one, you make a chocolate cake, a really good one. Like Mrs. Friel does. It is moist. And in the, even in both the cake and in the frosting, you know what the secret ingredient is, Jimmy? What's that? Coffee. Really? Yeah. Coffee grounds. Oh. oh, interesting, man. I think she got it from Ida Gerton and and she makes this on a cake. It's like a special event when this cake happens It is moist. It's delicious. She tells everybody in the home, don't eat this cake till I say so. She leaves it sitting on the kitchen counter. Along comes our son <laughs> and takes a slice. Runs his just runs his finger a little bit around the bottom, thinking they'll never see the little fingerprint that I'm leaving behind and licks the frosting. Is Mrs. Friel responsible for his actions? No. Now, some would say, but she she shouldn't have left the cake out on the counter. Well, that was up to her because it's her cake and it's her counter and she can do what she wants. So she didn't do anything sinful, but it led to the sinning of another. And she is not culpable. She's guilt-free. And so is God. God sets everything up. He created the planet. He created a garden. He put the trees. He put the river. He put the people at at his good pleasure. None of it was sinful. But he knew they were going to sin. And they did. And therefore, he's not responsible. That is how God operates the world. And Jimmy, I get your concern about, boy, the... God not able to sin, it makes it sound like it compromises his sovereignty. Well, it does, but it's also at the end when you just get so frustrated because you can't come up with a clear answer, at least for me. I mean, I I just come to the conclusion that uh, we're trying to use our finite minds to understand something that we're never really going to be able to fully understand. No, that's that. Look, that is true. Yeah. But I think that right. That's that's why I said I think there needs to be some guardrails on this. And there ultimately needs to be a do not trespass sign put up, because I, I think that we can get so far into this that we turn things that are perhaps sanctified speculation into essentials. And that's where we can get in trouble. So, for instance, the Athanasian Creed, this is it goes far deeper into the character and the nature of God than the Nicene or the Apostles Creed. I dig it. I dig everything about it because it lays it out. The father is not the son. The son is not the father. The son is not the spirit. The spirit is not the father. Three distinct persons. And it just over and over. And yet one God. And if you don't believe this, you're in trouble. So that would be considered essential. If you understand causation differently or how God, without revealing it specifically, operates the universe, I wouldn't make that an essential. But it it can be something that we explore with limits. Jimmy, I don't know if you realize this, but even as you were saying that we human beings, our finite minds can't grasp this. You had your 
You had your hands up and your forehead like you were rubbing away a migraine. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was trying to stop the smoke from coming out of my ears. <laughs> uh, oh, you're that mad at me, are you? No, I'm not mad. It's just. Is God to blame for your being mad at me? Uh, yes, he caused every bit of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> define cause. God put you there. Let's say that Jimmy is sinning in his heart. Did, did God make him do that? No. Did God ordain it? Yeah. Simple as that. And when your brain gets to the point where it shorts out, leave it there. <laughs> Just walk away from the table and say, it is good that I cannot understand everything about God. But, oh, what a joyous exercise to try to understand to the limited ability we can the mind of God because it's good for us. And it helps us to know our God and love our God more. This is Wretched Radio. Here are a few words that you've never heard together. Health insurance, good deal, and high customer satisfaction rates. Would you please consider checking out MediShare? Not only are the rates amazing, but the customer satisfaction rate is supremely higher than traditional health insurance. MediShare, it is affordable, biblical, health sharing. The average family saves $500 a month, but hold on, here comes the even better part of the good deal. For the year 2023, you'll save 10%. Not kidding. Even more. Furthermore, they will waive the initiation fee. It will take you two minutes on the telly to determine if MediShare is right for you and your family. Please call 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, or visit MediShare.com slash wretched. Hey, thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. So, have you been by the store lately? You know, the Wretched Store and Wretched.org. Because if not, you're going to want to mosey on over there as soon as you can. Because you're going to find not only a ton of great resources, but you're also right now going to find all Wretched products have been marked down 50%. And that's not all. No, if you spend $50 or more, we're going to give you a copy of Transformed Season 1 while supplies last, plus free shipping. It's a little something we like to call the Wretched 50-50 sale. And you've got an opportunity to take advantage of it right now through the end of the year. All you have to do is head on over to Wretched.org. That's Wretched.org. And see for yourself just how much money you can save through the end of the year. That's wretched.org. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting Reborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives? That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing when she got here. It was just, oh my gosh. <laughs> Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched.
Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Seed of the Woman. Immediately after the fall of man, God promised a Savior who would be the offspring of the woman. Jesus was born of a virgin, a divine Savior born of the seed of woman. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's just see if this will help because it always does. This is Wretched Radio, a reprobation in God's sovereignty. Gulp, recovering a biblical doctrine by Dr. Peter Sammons of the Master's Seminary, helping us to defend the accusation, how can God be good if evil exists? Let's go to the Bible to learn directly from it what it says about the way God operates the world. Let's let the Bible show us how he does everything without doing the sin. He is in an ultimate sense, causing the sin without an approximate or efficient sense, causing the evil. Therefore, he is not responsible for the evil. Let's let the Bible show us how this works. There's four causalities that we see revealed in the Bible. Removing restraints, giving people over. So Romans 1, you know that God gave them over to lust. Wait a second, what? That's right. God restrains people. We see that in Genesis 26. God said in a dream, yep, I know that you've done this, and I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God didn't, God didn't let the person sin? That's right. He restrains us a lot. Does he have to? Does he sin if he doesn't? No. We sin when we sin. God does not have to provide the restraints, so God can remove restraints, giving people over. Can consider Pharaoh and his hard heart. We see that 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 he was ma- making this decision to to not do what he was told to do, because God gave him over. God, God, God. God God hardened his heart, and yet we also see, isn't it interesting, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. There is withholding of grace, Deuteronomy 29.4. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. He, I'm not giving you that grace. Is it wrong for God to do that? Absolutely, it can't be. Joshua 11.20, for it was the Lord, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, to meet Israel in battle in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Whoa. We got to figure these things out. They're there in our Bible. God sometimes says, done. Not going to restrain you. I'm not going to offer you any grace. I'm not going to give you these good things. God doesn't have to give anything to anyone, but he does choose to give to all of us by sustaining us, and to some of us, salvation. And it's not wrong of him to withhold grace from people who simply don't deserve it. Now, there, here's the second causality, the causality of hardening. God hardens the hearts of people. Now, this is where we get into Pharaoh, of course. He's our best demonstration of this. But you've also got Deuteronomy 2.30. Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land. 
For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. So God will harden a heart. That is not a sinful activity. It can't be because God can't do that. Right, Jimmy? God can't do that. (laughs) I haven't haven't persuaded you quite yet. God doesn't have to have us. Let us have a soft heart open to correction, rebuke, instruction. If he takes that blessing away, he's not sinning in doing so. There's also the self-hardening where Pharaoh hardened his own heart. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So you've got people whose hearts are hardened doing terrible things. It's because they harden their own heart. God isn't responsible. Are we seeing how he causes it without causing it? There are different categories. Now, here's another causality. The causality of personal agency, that there are evil people. When God uses the wicked to perform temporal evil, which results in their eternal ruin, or when he uses that evil to bring about a good, that we grow, that we rely on him more, that, that, that we, we trust him as the world falls in on us. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph understood causality. John 6, Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So God knew he was going to make Judas Iscariot. He knew that Judas Iscariot would betray the Son of God with a kiss. And yet he's not responsible for Judas's sin any more than you're responsible for the sins of your children. We see that in Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. The most evil action ever perpetrated in the history of everything was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what do we see in Isaiah 53? God was pleased to crush his son. Was God brutalizing his son? No, humans did it. And he used them for his predetermined and predestined plan. You've got the causality of evil spirits. Judges 9. Then God sent an evil spirit. God God released one. They're on a leash. Let's them off. God God isn't sinning by doing that. The, The demon is, but God most certainly isn't. 1 Samuel 16. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. This is God using evil spirits to accomplish his will. You can read about that in Job 1, 7 through 12, of course. We know that story. John 13. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. And Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. The fourth category of causality that God uses are the general means. I read this description before. When scripture states a general means, or it can simply be defined As any time God speaks about the execution of the decree of reprobation upon the non-elect without stating a direct agent involved. So here's the Bible showing us what 
where we come up with this category of causality. This is Matthew. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Why? Doesn't say. We leave it at that. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, this is Hebrews 12, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Why Why did Esau do that? Doesn't say. And so we leave it in the causality of non-personal agency. You've got something, a non, it, it's something that caused him to do, we don't, we don't know what. Now, we do have a descriptor of a causality of general means in the subject of the truth. When scripture speaks of the truth being as a dual means for some salvation, for the reprobate, it elicits an obstinate or rebellious response toward God. So the truth does stuff. And God is not responsible for our evil response to his good truth. Isaiah 6, 9. Go and tell his people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Luke 8. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Truth affects that. God is truth. But God is not in the secondary or tertiary causation of a hardened heart. He, he, he's not the one who is doing that. And yet he causes it as the ultimate cause. Second Corinthians 2. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? God uses truth. To cause, without being culpable, a hardening of a heart, turning away from the gospel. This this might help you if you have a child who has done so. God, God isn't responsible for your child's disbelief. Your, your child is responsible. And perhaps more, more poignantly, if you're listening to this, you're responsible for your sin, your evil. You can't say the Lord made me do it. You can't say that God is to blame for your sinful behavior. You are. And even though God does not have dirty hands, he washes our dirty bodies and cleanses us through the work of his glorious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we who are the perpetrators of evil could be propitiated, could be made right with God. And God has graciously made this offer to you. And if you've never responded to this offer in repentance and faith, I don't know if you're hardening your own heart. I don't know if there's a general cause. I don't know if there's a demon involved. But this day he offers you life. Take it. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be spared from reprobation. And until tomorrow... Go serve your king.